Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. And now in the wings where artists talk about their work and their journey towards performance. Writer Patrick Fogarty and actors Pat Kinavan and Sharon Mannion talk about working on Patrick's play The Last High King of Ireland, which won first prize at the 2022 PJ O'Connor Awards. My name is Patrick Fogarty. I wrote the radio play The Last High King of Ireland. My name is Sharon Mannion. My name is Pat Kinavan. I played the part of Tapper in The Last High King of Ireland. The idea came about through just observing my local town and some of the characters and combining them together and trying to think of how, how I could create a play with sound and came about organically enough then once I started the idea it took a hold of itself, really. I play a few different parts in The Last High King of Ireland, so a number of roles. Tapper is a character that probably occurs in every small town in Ireland. Tapper is somebody with a very checkered and coloured, but also stressful and damaged past. He deals with it in a kind of a pattern of daily chat to the locals, visiting everyone in the community, shops, chippers, pubs. This is my first radio play, but my first play was called Zugzwang, and I directed it in Galway, just in the university, and went quite well. Since then, I've kind of been writing over the pandemic and this was my first radio play and submitted it to the competition and thankfully uh, came out the winner. I thought it was like a poem and when you meet the writer and he's just this young 25 year old it's like it doesn't seem to make sense or something. It feels like a very old Irish very rural very poetic as I say. I had seen a performance of Dylan Thomas's Under Milk Wood and then when I watched it, I went back and read it. About a month before I wrote the radio play, and it kind of gave me ideas for the medium. And it was very kind of colourful language. And that was really the inspiration. And then also the radio play kind of uses a stream of consciousness through Tapper's mind. And that was kind of kind of a joycing technique that I tried to instill into the piece. My first reaction was that the writing itself, the actual, the flow and the florid writing and the language was something really, really ornately and proudly Irish. And I thought, wow, this is better than Shakespeare. That's what I thought to myself. This is so accomplished. And every time we have to say it, in rehearsals or even in the recording of it. It's a pleasure to say it. It's a pleasure to utter the words that Patrick has written down. My favourite play is Hamlet. I know that's quite cliche, but I still think it's the best piece of literature uh, ever written and probably followed by Macbeth. But there are certain plays then that just strike you, like Sarah Kane's Blast. It was a visceral play. And modern playwrights, I really do enjoy... The Irish, an end of Walsh or a Conor McPherson, 
and there's an English woman, Lucy Preble, does really interesting work. So the contemporary scene is is still very interesting. It's just I think there's a lot to be gleaned from from the classics like a Shakespeare or a, a Chekhov or a Ionesco. Patrick Fogarty, who's an amazing um, writer, it's a beautiful, beautifully written part and a beautiful ensemble piece. And we just we track the journey of this man and how he manages to get through the day in his sometimes delusional, but other times he's convinced that he is really the last High King of Ireland. And yeah. It feels like a quintessentially Irish story, but actually I would imagine that if you weren't Irish, you might feel it was quintessentially from wherever you're from. It has that kind of thing where it feels very personal, but it's also quite universal. I think everybody knows that kind of Tapper character and... I think we all have different relationships with that kind of character, that sort of lost soul who's is an irritant to some people and is a, a sort of a somebody to protect for other people. And actually, interestingly, I think depending on the day of the week might be both of those things to you on any given day. And I think what I like about the piece as well is that the role that the community sort of play around this character they sort of take the role of the family because I think when somebody is that sort of tapper character, family can be exasperated by all of that because it's so tricky. So that's where I think a community can kind of step in and maybe fill that role in a sort of slightly distant way. And that's what I really like about the piece is there's a lot of care around this character, but it's also not lost on us that like this person would be a very difficult person to be close to. I think Hamlet has all the ingredients for me personally just the verse the the psychology of the character the plumbing the depths into the psychology of a man torn between life and death and I think everyone has that experience and I know it is the most famous but I, I do think it has just gems of insight and wisdom and I think that's why I love Shakespeare the most because a lot of literature is spread out between psychology philosophy poetry novels plays and I think Shakespeare can kind of combine them all into one really well knit. Now that's not to say some of them are quite boring I'm not you know like some of the plays are boring but I think Hamlet and and, and Macbeth as well the supernatural element to Macbeth I think is they're really fun and I think one thing I like to do with my own writing is I don't like to because I'm quite young still so I don't like to dictate to anyone I want to tell a story and a well written story I don't think anyone wants to hear how I think the world should work. I got into the business really from my love of plays and been introduced to plays, Irish and international plays from a very young age with a local drama group down in Cove and then went into kind of more aspiring amateur drama groups in Cove, one being the Hall Boland Theatre Group who were amazing and then I joined other amateur drama groups and I got a great training there. I got a great training in stagecraft but also reading different plays like from George Fado to Dario Fo to Ibsen to uh, John B. Keane you know so I, I was steeped in it and then a wonderful man called Patrick Sutton I went to a summer school and he asked me would I like to audition for his professional company called Team Theatre and I did and that was the start of, of my professional career. So I wanted to be an actor all along. I don't know where that really came from. And I went to Inchcore VEC. There was an acting course out there. And I had great thoughts about being 
a very serious actor but I never really got cast as kind of you know Juliet or anything like that I always seem to be in the odd little weird roles uh, which upset me for a while <laughs> but then I thought you know what if, if I'm getting if I can make a career out of this fine so yeah I kind of just went on from there I started doing a lot of comedy and once I started doing comedy that things started to tick along a little bit quicker I suppose so yeah now I kind of do a mixed bag of stuff I'm quite new to the to the industry I guess but uh I really do enjoy the creative aspect of it. I like enjoy writing. I enjoy the collaboration of working with actors, directors, sound designers, you know, set designers, lighting designers and so forth. It's it's a very rewarding job if you want to call it that, but if you if you really enjoy it, it's just, you know, a pleasure pleasure to to, to fill your time with. I worked with a lot on a lot of big classic plays and big ensemble plays but I decided when I was going to work as a solo performer that I wanted to write about something that I really cared about. That's what it was all about. I wanted to make a difference even like to one person, someone to connect with it or if it it could help somebody in the smallest way because then it was worth doing, you know. So that's I suppose that's a subconscious part of me that I don't realise that's there. It's coming from a place of... I, yeah, you know, I, I am a soft person. I'm, you mightn't think it to look at me up on the stage, you know what I mean? Uh, I can be imposing and I can be strong there. But that's not me. Like, I'm, I'm a very soft person. I'm a very vulnerable person. So I suppose I'm writing it to honour vulnerable people, you know? I actually used to write a lot when I was a child, interestingly enough. And my when I was very young, like my mother used to write sketches. And so I used to write sketches. So it was more kind, the writing was, when I go way back, actually the writing was at the start of it all, really. And when I went to acting college, I didn't really write at all. But then when I started going to, getting into comedy, I started to write, but it, but it, it was initially sketch comedy and, you know, short plays and essays and things like that. So the kind of stand-up sort of came all as a consequence, I think, of everything else. I was much more interested in, and I probably still am, if I'm honest, I enjoy writing character stuff more than I enjoy writing stand-up. I started writing as a teenager. I would have been writing plays at home just for myself, really. I never really did anything with them. And then I wrote a lot of poetry as a young man. And then um, I started writing because Jim Cullerton in Fishamble, the new play company, an amazing man, an amazing director. He cast me in a play and then one night we were chatting and I said to him, look, I have a, a treatment of something. This was in the 90s. And so I gave it to him. It was called The Nun's Wood and it was set in Cove, in my hometown. And then he said, look, I'd like you to develop this for us. So I did. And that was my first full length play. And uh, they produced it and it was a great success for them. And I got confidence from that. Then I wrote another full length play for them, The Plains of Anna. And they were really, really happy with that. And then I started working with him on solo pieces, really, 16 years ago. And it's funny because I don't feel as if they're solo pieces because there's a big team involved. Do you know what I mean? There's Jim, who's amazing, myself, and then there's there's Gavin and there's Eva and everyone in Fishamble. And then you bring composers on board and you bring beautiful uh, lighting designers on board and costume design and, uh, and all of that. So it feels like a huge team effort when we're on, on the road, even though I'm the only one actually on the stage. I'm surrounded really by a lot of art. 
So my show, The Curse of the Button Accordion, was written in, I think, 2017, something like that. In, it was in the pre-COVID times, uh, BC. And that eventually was a radio version as well, which I recorded here. And yeah, I toured that extensively nationwide in the years preceding COVID. And of course, I was going on a US tour in April 2020 to all over the place, San Francisco and lots of great places. I had a great trip planned out. My parents were coming, the kids were coming. It was going to be a huge, big thing. And then, of course, well, we all know what happened in March 2020. So I'm still actually trying to re rejig that again and not sure when I can get a window now to go again. I had it all, it was so well meticulously planned. So I'm still trying to find the right window to reschedule them, but I'm hoping to get that done. If not 2023, 2024. My first play was called Zugzwang. Um, it was about two characters trapped in a room and they have no knowledge of the outside world and they kind of form a distorted view of reality through the sounds they hear like dogs barking and so on and passing cars that they don't know exactly what they are yet they can hear them so that was the kind of idea behind that The only training I had really as I say was doing plays as a a teenager and then I went to the Oscar school under a scholarship purely to do mime there and Vincent O'Neill was amazing to me to offer me that scholarship so intermittently at weekends over the course of a year and a half, two years. And I really enjoyed myself, but I learned an awful lot. And I, I kind of discovered really the physical side of theatre to a large degree there as well. I went to the University of Galway and studied for four years in Irish and uh, drama and theatre. And I graduated there. And I kind of started writing maybe my first year of university and I've kind of continued since. It's a hmm, it's a one woman musical comedy about based on me growing up in Countess Common and essentially me being forced to learn or slash want to learn, depending on uh, which version of history you believe, the button accordion, which I felt turned against me and sort of had me cursed by the end. So I suppose it's an anxious Sharon that appears in the show. She worries a lot about the end of the world and meteorites and the third secret of Atma and other regular kid stuff like that. So it is based on me. I would say slightly less neurotic than the Sharon in the show, but probably not that much less. Forgotten really was the first solo piece that I did because uh, and I wanted to talk about how people grow old in Ireland and how it is changing, uh, how it's more difficult for people as time goes on, that the three generational family that used to live together, there was something really, really special about that in our history and that that is kind of fragmented. So we're no longer in a situation where grandparents, for the most part, are living with their grandchildren and children. So because of that, we have to deal with ageing and care in a different way. I was always fascinated by that. So I I kind of approached that with a, a style really tipping my hat to Eastern culture. Countries like Japan have a much different view on ageing and the care of the elderly. So that's where that came from. And I haven't looked back. It's that's that's 16 years old and I'm just so glad to have it still forgotten. Yeah, I, I have read Aristotle's Poetics and I've read some of um, Plato's The Republic. Now, there, I, I do think the Poetics is slightly outdated, even though it does set the standard for what a play or dramatics should be. Um, but I think it seems to me to centre around the psychology of a story 
and how best to bring out the cathartic elements for an audience and how to best implement the craft of, of stage and to mimic real life and how best to do that, what the starting points are for a story, what the ending points are and how you should get there from A to B and what the language should be, what the rhythm should be, how important the verse is, the chorus. And I think a lot of the elements have been lost, actually. But I think it can be enhanced upon. But it's great to use it as, as a bedrock for your knowledge. And I think all budding writers should be aware of the, of, of the classics. So Bridget Naiman was co-written by Jason Butler, Jennifer Zamparelli and Bernard O'Shea and also starred Colin MacDonald and Ed Salmon and Norma Sheehan was in it, Elinor Tiernan, uh, Laura O'Mahony. It was just full of really just good comic brains and fun, fun people. And a lot of people who would have been in Republic of Telly worked on Bridget Naiman as well. Bridget Naiman was born on Republic of Telly originally and so a lot of familiar faces showed up on set. Silent arrived very, very quickly to me. I went with my beautiful friend Claudia Carroll to New York in 2008 for the first time and I'd never been. She said, you loved this place. I hated it. There was so much homelessness there and so many ex-military on the streets and I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And when I came back to Dublin then, I could only see homeless people here I suddenly the, like the, the shutters were taken off and I saw so many homeless people and it broke my heart so, and it made me very angry still does and that show is 11 years old now and things have got worse so I had to write about it and I had to write about the correlation really between homelessness and mental health and both are in a whirlpool together and that we have to understand that in order to understand the person who is homeless, you have to understand what they're going through in their head. And a lot of the time it's such a struggle for people to get out of that whirlpool. So the character is called Tino, but it's kind of an homage, really, the style of the piece to that great uh, time in silent movies when you had massive stars. I mean, bigger than Tom Cruise stars like Rudolph Valentino, because that silent sort of medium was huge all over the world. And uh, I wanted to bring that because it's, it's a highly theatrical film form, you know. Well, there's a writer called John Logan. He wrote a play called Red. It revolves around Mark Rothko, the artist. And John Logan was a big admirer of, of Aristotle's poetics and he kind of follows them quite religiously. But he brings Rothko on a discovery, like in an Oedipus Rex. The character's in the dark at the start and the audience comes along the journey with them into the recognition of their failures. So Mark Rothko at the start, he's quite a brash. He, he's teaching uh, his student how to paint and comes to realise his own faults along with the audience. So he's, the, the protagonist kind of is bringing the audience with them along the trail and that's the, the beat or the tempo or the heartbeat of a, of a story is the audience coming with them and then the cathartic moment of the realisation actually it was me that was this is my fault or this is my discovery of myself and thus the audience's discovery of themselves. Bridget name was, was 95% scripted. I think in series one if I remember correctly Jason and that was like okay we'll do some ad-libbing and then he quickly put a stop to that because everyone was like, OK, great, because it was just a set of comedians going, great, yeah, I'll give that a go. So if I remember rightly, from series two onwards, it was a bit more, let's get the script done first and see how we get on. But there was always room for, they were. it was a very open set in terms of like, if somebody had a suggested better line or whatever, somebody wanted to try something, really, really open. But it was very, it was surprisingly uh, together. You might, may not have looked at from how chaotic <laughs> the perception of it was, but no, no, it was um, it was very professional and very serious. 
Underneath came to me slowly. It's a piece really about prejudice. It's a piece about people judging each other on the outside, on, on our shell that we carry around. And uh, I suppose I was never a person that would do that. I'm, and I, I was fascinated by a world, and increasingly so, of a world of people judging and giving opportunity to people who are aesthetically probably at an advantage to other people. So that's what underneath came from. And I, I just hold it up and question it. It's a very, very theatrical piece. It takes place in the tomb of a woman. And, and I, I take on the part of that 50 year old woman in the play. And it's her journey through a really torrid life where she is her face has been deformed in a terrible, terrible fire. And I suppose how we judge people walking down the road and the footpath and we see somebody different and how people are pointed at and how difficult that is for the person that has gone through the suffering, you know. So I played Concepta in Bridget and Eamon and that came about because, well, I had worked a lot on Republica Telly and Republica Telly was this great sort of show for really, it was a mishmash of stuff. I think it was the closest that we came to in Ireland to Saturday Night Live, like in that sort of, you would write bits for the show, you would perform sketches on the show, you would work with different directors and all of that. And I loved that environment, you know, and I still want to work on something like that. And so... I had worked a lot with Jason Butler who wrote and co-wrote and directed Bridget Naiman and also with Jennifer Zamparelli and Bernard O'Shea and I knew Bernard from stand-up and stuff anyway. So that was how I got the role of Concepta and then just that set, we did four series of it and just that whole set was just kind of, it was just great crack. It was just full of brilliant comedy kind of minds just having a laugh, you know. So that was probably one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. Uh, I'm working as a freelance journalist online at the moment. That kind of keeps me going and then I write in my spare time. And I kind of hone my craft by reading. I think it's the best way. I love to read Shakespeare. Um, I try to pull apart the strands and and learn the metre of sentences. Uh, It's quite a specific craft that I think has been lost in recent years, the kind of the nuanced craft of playwriting. Uh, In extension to Shakespeare, I I enjoy the rhythm of a pinter play or there's a a certain rhythm to a McDonough kind of dialogue that I, I like to incorporate into the dialogue I write and hopefully make it my own unique style. So I run the Comedy Cellar at the International, which is the longest running comedy club in Ireland. It was started back in the day by Barry Murphy, Ardlo Hanlon and Kevin Gildee back in 1988, I think. It's really the home of Irish comedy. I think everybody would kind of sign up to that sort of viewpoint. And every few years, a new kind of custodian takes over and kind of runs the cellar. So it's got a nice kind of holistic kind of approach to it. And my turn has come to take charge of the cellar at the moment. And I'm loving it. So I'm there every Wednesday at eight o'clock. And, you know, it's the type of place that people kind of drop by. I mean, Kevin Bridges came in a few weeks ago to do a bit of new material and anybody that's ever been to comedy in the international will know it kind of has that sort of, it it probably still looks the same as it did in 1988, which is both the good thing about it and the bad thing about it. But it has a lovely, it's a great room for comedy. And generally the people that come to the comedy there, they're comedy audiences. So it's a room where where acts can try a lot of new stuff and you can see, you'll always see the brightest new talents in Irish comedy. You'll always see them first in the international. 
Before is a, a piece about a man who hasn't seen his daughter in 17 years. And I have a wonderful, wonderful friend who has gone through that parental alienation from his child. I have a beautiful 22 year old son. I, I can't even imagine not being able to see him. So I wanted to write it. Um, it's a play about love. It's a play about love and love interrupted and love denied. And I think it's very important to realise that there are a lot of amazing mothers in the country, but there are also a lot of amazing fathers. I'm talking this one for the fathers and the mothers. And uh, I wrote the play for this character called Pontius, who is this man and the absolute pain he goes through from being denied unjustly absolutely unjustly from seeing his child because there's a lot of people who justly should be kept away but this is a man who did everything he could and loved and uh, and it's just we see the consequences of that because it's in every it's in every small village in Ireland that there's there's people denied it's essentially an homage to Hollywood musicals and the RTE concert orchestra recorded the soundtrack by Dennis Glossy for it and everywhere I go and I do it in big hollas or big theatres or small little hollas down the country or anywhere in Europe you do it, the RTE Concert Orchestra come with me in the recording of the soundtrack and people go crazy for it because it sounds as if they're in the theatre. And I'll never forget that day, as long as I live, when they were recording Dennis Clahassi's music here in Studio One. It was it was just a dream come true. I want to tell a story and a well-written story. I don't think anyone wants to hear how I think the world should work. Um, it's not really, who cares? You know, just can you tell a good story? Can you can you write? And I think, you know, kind of keep your own ideology out of it, even if they are important issues, which they are. But, you know, focus on the craft of the, of the drama. Tell a story. And that's what lives longer than some kind of message you want to send. You know, the message will be in the story if, you know, the, it's for the audience to glean the message, not the writer to tell you this is what you should think. If you find it yourself, that's that's what a story is for. I do use the guitar in my stand-up and I have no qualms about saying that it absolutely is a crutch. Yes, it's amazing how secure and hidden you feel behind a guitar. I am not a great guitar player at all by any stretch. I play four chords, maybe five if my fingers are feeling flexible. So I find the guitar great for when I want to try new material. I'll sort of put the guitar on and oh by the way here's some thoughts <laughs> that are just coming to my mind but that'll be where I'm trying new stuff and I feel protected by the guitar I don't know how the guitar is protecting me I don't know if I'm going to hit somebody with it maybe that's what it is I don't know but yeah it's a crutch but I don't agree when people say like oh you know another musical comedian I think there is a skill in musical comedy absolutely and I love watching musical comedians like Fred Cook for example is a great musical comedian and look at I think there's absolutely a place for musical comedy I wouldn't refer to myself as a musical comedian as such I use the guitar a little bit I don't know what I am truthfully I never validated myself really or anything like that through awards but it's I suppose I have to be respectful of the fact that people are acknowledging the work and they're acknowledging the work of all of us on those pieces the whole gamut of the team the theatrical team that puts it together and to be honest with you I'm, I'm more uh, happy for Fishamble and for Jim and the company I only validate myself through effort and do my best. I've always just tried to do my best. And if I don't, I kick myself. I'm not tough on myself, but I'm my validation is is actually just doing the work, put my head down 
I'm a working class boy. I've always been like that. But the awards, yes, they have been, you know, it's it's hard sometimes to kind of understand that they're there because I never set out to get them in the first place. Do you know what I mean? It's I set out to be creative and to be a, almost like a little boy all the time. But a lot of my classmates have gone to study in, in colleges in London, acting schools, Guildhall, RADA and so on. And Matthew Forrest, for example, is an actor, really talented actor, studying in Guildhall in London. And we have a you know, some plans to do some short films together for the, over the summer. Um, so hopefully they go well. And uh, I also have a play submitted to the Galway Theatre Festival and we're hoping to get that going with a friend of mine, uh, Vincent McBride. We're all hoping that goes goes well. I'm very grateful for every opportunity I get. The more I go forward, the more grateful I am for every opportunity, including doing this play. I haven't done radio in a while and I used to be out here a lot doing radio as a younger man and I absolutely adored it. I loved watching all of the older actors, players and what they did. In particular, I love watching Catherine Brennan, who I think is a genius on the radio. I always loved watching her. I loved watching Joan O'Hara. I loved watching Neil Tobin, Mick Lally. Just the way people use the microphone, use their bodies, actually. That's what I love about radio, because it's actually, I think, a very physical art form as well because you have to dance around that studio sometimes and dance with the mic and use your head in a different way and use your body in a different way uh, and use your chest in a different way and your stomach and all those things that bring out the sounds and I never get it right but it's the trying that matters and then you discover new things each time so it is a tough business. I think there's no getting away from that. And I mean, COVID was obviously very stressful. I think at the moment in the post-COVID world, it's a good time for comedy, for sure. I know some sections of the arts are struggling a little bit and it's, you know, still finding its feet and stuff. Comedy is booming at the minute, which is great. I mean, I think a lot of, I can't speak for everybody, but certainly for myself, I definitely... In the post-COVID world, I'm feeling the joy of performance more maybe than I was like in the years leading up to COVID because I do a few different things and I write and I, you know, do TV work and I do stand up and I do acting, whatever. Like I kind of, I don't know, I didn't really know what I was. And for a while then I was like, oh, maybe I'm a writer, you know, and I was kind of going hard at that. But I actually really missed performance more than I thought I would. So I'm kind of enjoying now just like the the biggest fear I think for all artists is like, what if it all goes away? And that propels you a lot. And then COVID happened and it did all go away. It like it just fell, it crumbled, like our entire lives crumbled. So now, which was horrific, obviously, but now we're in this new space of like, oh, the worst has happened and I've survived. So now I'm actually just going to do what I like. You know, I'm not going to bother trying to think about what I should be doing or who I should be trying to work with or who I should be this, because what's the point? It all crumbled anyway. So I'm just having the crack and it's great. It's the way forward. I'd love not to work with Alwyn Fuer again because I worked with her in ensemble before. I think I'd love to work with, even today, there was there people like Enda Oates I'd love to work with. I'd love to work with Des Cave again. I think Des Cave is a, an amazing actor and a huge inspiration to me as a young actor. I just think he's a sublime example of an amazing performer. So yeah, there's there's people like that and there's, there's younger ones then that I see around and I'm really, do you know what I mean? I, I, I see people and I go... 
oh wow there's a talent now and the writer today Patrick Fogarty I mean like that writing who wouldn't want to be in that there's so much talent there the well is there in the country and never say never like I, I, I always say like you know there's there's room for me to develop and grow going into my 60s you know what I mean you know so I'll always be have that sense of wonder about the theatre and I'll always I'll always have an open heart to it like that so I'm only, I'm discovering stuff in my mid-50s now that I love like I and again I, I feel like a little boy do you know what I'd love to do this is mad because I did panto when I was a younger man and I loved it and it was great training ground for any actor because I tell you once you can do that you, you that's hard work but it's also highly skilled stuff and you know what I, you know what I want to do if there's any big producers out there I would love to play the Grinch that stole Christmas isn't that mad? You can keep your hamlets and you could, because I'm too old for them anyway. I would love to play something mad like that because there's nothing better than children and adults together screaming up at a villain on the stage just, just to have the fun of that. I know that sounds mad, but that's what I'd love to do. And there you heard the voices of writer Patrick Fogarty and actors Pat Kinavan and Sharon Mannion talking about working on Patrick's play The Last High King of Ireland, which won first prize at the 2022 PJ O'Connor Awards. The producer of In the Wings is Kevin Reynolds. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.